Welcome to my podcast where I talk about all things related to money, mindset, finance, business, and investing. My name is Royston Cumberbatch, a qualified accountant with over 30 years' experience in finance and business. Coming from a very humble background, I have continuously challenged the assumptions and the expectations of what I'm capable of achieving for myself and others. Over the years, I've helped hundreds of entrepreneurs to decipher finance and to make more money and to run highly successful businesses. On this podcast, I will share with you tips, strategies, techniques, and tools that you can use to make more money, manage money better, and to maximize your success. All right, welcome to another episode of the Financial Intelligence Mindset Podcast. We bring you different people from different backgrounds uh, every day, every week. I try to... um, you know, have just a different uh, people with different perspectives. So today we got Phil Blows, and Phil uh, is actually a man with a finance background, which is really to my heart. Um, more like in financial trading, you know, um, you can invest your money with him, and he can help you to get more returns. His background is actually in banking and helping helping more financial institutions to leverage their money, and uh, he's actually written a book as well called The Money Triangle, and um, and to write that book. He actually interviewed uh, 10,000 people. Wow. So welcome, Phil. Please tell us about your backstory, maybe. How did you really get into this financial trade and stuff? Yeah, thank, thanks very much for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And um, yeah, very supportive of your mission to try and you know, make, make anything financial more, uh, more accessible to people. So um, thanks for taking the time. Uh, in terms of how, how I kind of got into finance, I've always been quite a big fan of sort of maths and, and generally sort of financial trading. And it really happened at university where I think it's probably reading a lot of books. I stumbled across some of the real early kind of finance books, things like Market Wizards by, by um, what's his name, Jack Swagger, I think his name is, but um, and a few others. And just just got the bug really early and just loved the idea of trying to solve this massive problem, which is, yeah, how do you make excess returns in, in the world of, fin- of, of finance and investing? And uh, caught, caught the bug really early, despite doing a degree that didn't really have anything to do with finance. I, once I left university, I was very quickly moved into a um, into, well, foreign exchange brokerage firm, which was helping yeah. people who, who were buying properties abroad to get the best rate for their money. Um, did that for a while, then moved on to a, a, a more of a trading desk where I was, I was effectively helping uh, retail investors invest their money into stocks and shares as well as kind of FX strategies. Um, I was really fortunate in a couple of things where my, my boss, my boss's boss left. I ended up running this, this kind of 30 man company when I was about 21. And we built up this huge business of lots of clients and got lots of really early exposure, which was, which was awesome. And, um, and then kind of moved that to a different company. And I guess over time, it just sort of, it grew and grew. And we ended up with, um, with kind of managing institutional money as well as retail investors yeah. money. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just a very, uh, I guess, a lot of early responsibility, which was brilliant, but also a lot of continued learning, always taking exam. I had a lot of financial exams I needed to take, and yeah. I've always been passionate about reading a lot. And I think um, given how much financial markets change and how quickly, especially now, it's, it's never been more important to really just try and stay on top of things. It's amazing. Amazing. So that's quite great. So, uh, so it sounds to me like coming, coming out from university, uh, 
Uh, were you like interested in numbers? Were you interested in finance? Were you were you were you a maths guy or? or? I wasn't I wouldn't say ever ever so much of a maths guy. It was quite interesting because I think when I was when I was at school, the two subjects I really I really struggled with were were French and maths. <laughs> yeah. And um, I ended up I ended up uh, for six years working in finance in a French speaking country, which was a bit of a joke. <laughs> interesting. Um, interesting. Yeah, you know, I moved out to Switzerland for a while, but um. Yeah. You know, I think it was it, it's it's less you know it's it's not finance doesn't tend to be very complex maths. I think it's yes, more of course it's more Ar- arithmetic. At, yeah, I think so, and it's um and I don't know the, the kind of it, it does appeal to me. It's very binary in, in in the kind of the returns that you get and things like that. So I've always quite liked liked that aspect and you know d- d- designing systems that look at kind of trend following or prediction systems, you know, which which work fairly well at times. Um, was also quite a big I don't know, draw to me. It just just sort of made a lot of logic sense, I think. Yeah, cool, cool. So, so what did you actually study at university? So I did um, I did geological sciences, which <laughs> actually had uh, a fair. I mean, I think when I when I started that, I was very much around. I just wanted to spend my life outside. I think, and that's why I thought trekking around volcanoes outside would be it would be a great career. Um, Interested. Yeah, but uh, I, I I did an MBA about ten years later. Um, okay. Yeah. At, at the University of Geneva, which um, kind of helped with a bit of the um, on the business side, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You know, talking to you as I, I was kind of thinking about my son, right? Because my son is sixteen and he's he's very good in maths. And before he wanted to do engineering, but then he said to me, "Daddy, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to do maths and data, data, no maths and something to do, no maths and computer science, yeah, and geography, and and something else. You know what I mean?" And I think and economics as well, whatever it is. So I think he's he's really I think seeing himself now as going more into like working in financial institutions, like you know, like building mm-hmm. systems, etc. So as you were talking, I can picture my son kind of following in some someone like yours footstep. So I'll make sure I that he actually listens to this podcast. He might pick up a few gems. Yeah, I think I mean the computer science is is certainly where the majority of 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 finances is is now rooted and yeah. i think there's a there's a you often find the really good computer scientists have such a clarity of thought and clarity of logic into how they do things yeah that it it, it really is a fantastic grounding for really any career because of this it, te- it teaches logical thinking um, but but now i mean especially when you're looking at kind of the emerging mar- markets I'm, I'm i'm more involved in now like like cryptocurrency trading and investment in cryptocurrency you're seeing that underpinning all of that is a lot of new kind of, um, I must say, fairly new things like computer languages such as Solidity, which is, yeah. you know, if you become proficient in that, you're the most in-demand person right now. They'll they'll try and steal you well before you get to university. And of course, we're seeing we're seeing founders in the crypto space launching billion-dollar companies who are under the age of sixteen. Wow, and it's, um, stuff like that. You know, the the Rari Capital guys and people like that. It's um, it's a phenomenal time. It's amazing, and- amazing. And, you know, it, it's amazing you actually talk about that because I said to my son before, like he always used to be on his phone, you know, like I said to him, stop playing these games and learn to build something, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, I mean, it's probably still not actually sunk in yet, you know what I mean? But I guess maybe it, it will eventually because he's so bright, but then, you know, his talent is underused, you know what I mean? And Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that, that there's a lot to be said for kind of being very generalist early on. I think. Yeah. You know, I've always found that in my career when I've, when I've gone down paths where things have begun to get very specialized, which, which happened when I actually moved out to Switzerland, I ended up 
you know, I was doing, I was, I was helping banks manage their, their sort of liquidity of their, of their, their foreign, foreign currency reserves. But I found I was getting more and more specialized to the point where I was doing kind of derivatives in Russia, in the Russian markets. Yeah. And it was this tiny market, which at any point could go wrong. I mean, for example, we, we found that, um, yeah, business really dried up for us when, when Russia invaded the Ukraine because yeah. every investment bank all of a sudden couldn't, couldn't invest in, in Russia because they were sanctioned. So it, you know, the more we were so specialized and so niche at that point that our business got hit by an event completely outside of our control. So I think that's kind of why I rebelled against that a little bit. And then, you know, we did an MBA, which is probably one of the most generalized kind of fields of study you can do. And then went more into fintech, which kind of opened a few more doors after that. Yeah, that makes sense a lot. That makes sense a lot because like I have an accounting background. I was doing accounts like in in London City and um, and I was like, man, you know, I hated doing reporting every month, same thing every month. And I go, I don't want to do that. I did an MBA as well, you know, and then I kind of mm-hmm. branched off into what is called transformational work, doing different work. And I also didn't want to be pegged down into like just one company, one process, one job, you know what I mean? Because it does make you into like a very specialist, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so well done on you for being a generalist. Um, that's quite good. So you said your first job, right? So then now, now that you've you done this, uh, whatever you did at, um, at, at university, and then you're, you're in this first job, that now requires a lot of maths, et cetera, right? And a lot of, as you said, logical thinking. I mean, how did you first find your feet? I don't think it was, you know, because it was such an interest, um, oh, you know, the financial markets I found interesting. I found it very easy to, to, to kind of dive into the detail and what otherwise would probably be seen as quite a dry topic. Yeah. So, yeah, in terms of numbers and things, it's just, it was around, it was just doing for, yeah, FX calculations. So, you know, if I have yeah. 500,000 pounds and I need to buy dollars, you know, what's the buy price, what's the sell price, you know, if we're adding a margin to it, what is that? You know, and it, it's it's not particularly complex maths, but it it you know you just get you get used to it, and I think you know then learning more around what what impacts the price that that price you know so then getting into kind of you know in, well, the the effects of interest rate you know the I don't know, it could be anything at the time whether whether the markets are risk on risk off that sort of thing and and how that impacts any individual currency um, and then just general institutional flows and things like that. So the, the more you kind of dig into it, the more you, I guess, if kind of more questions get raised. But as you answer those questions yourself, you inherently learn more and more about it. Makes sense. Uh, so let's get into the mindset of investing, because a lot of people, I think, when they hear the word trading, they're like, oh, that's risky. Or they heard, or they heard the word investing in, uh, in, in the stock market or crypto is risky. You know what I yeah. mean? So if there was someone right now who, like, you know, you were speaking to them about investing and they're like a very risk averse person, how would yeah. you like, how would you talk to them about the benefits of, say, investing or managing their, I mean, yeah, I mean, how would, yeah. you, how would you make them feel comfortable? I think it, it's, um, for me, and it, it will always be, it'll always be different for other people. I mean, I, I would always use a, an example of, say, something that's highly diversified, like the S&P 500. So the S&P 500 yeah. is the US stock market index that, that tracks the 500 largest companies in the US. And you know, on, on average, if you look at it, over the last 100 years, it's returned somewhere in the region of you know, 7% yeah. a year. Now, some years it's done 50% up, other years it's done 30, 40% down. Yeah. And the thing that kind of, for me anyway, 
gives me comfort in the region where I work. I am fully yeah, anything that's not in crypto for me is fully invested in in equities. I don't hold any cash if I possibly yeah. can. Yeah. And the reason being is I know that on average over the last hundred years you're going to get two to three drawbacks a year of around about ten percent. Yeah. In um, in in equity markets and on average you're probably going to reachieve a new high within three to six months. Yeah, so, like that. You know, those, those are never really, you know, those little those little dips. And then every every five to six years, you're probably going to have something that looks more like a bear market. And what a bear market is, is on average, it's a drop of 32%. So on average, the market will drop 32% at some point. And again, it takes something like 18 months to two years to reachieve a new high. And you can have these long periods where things go quiet, but look, we're looking at a 100-year average uh, in all of this. And obviously... You've got things like depressions in the, in the early 30s. You've got big stock market crashes like the 87 crash, what happened in, in 2008, all these sorts of things. But for me, and you know, it probably is because I like numbers, I, I, I kind of look at the long-term averages and I'm saying, well, you know, I'm not going to really try and time the market. Obviously, if the market crashes and it just, just so happens I do have some cash, I'm going to be quite aggressively buying into it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what happened with, you know, it was interesting with what happened in the last US year. The last year and, and COVID. Yeah, yeah, I mean, March, peak, March, yeah. Yeah, the peak to trough was somewhere was around thirty two percent, pretty yeah. much near that kind of that that long term sort of bear market average, and it wasn't, but it was it was a bit of a crash. So you know, if you're if you're looking at it and thinking this doesn't feel like a ten percenter, it feels more like a thirty percenter. You would have been pretty comfortable buying at those levels if you've got a long term holding mindset. Correct. Uh, the thing the thing that really gets people, and this is trading versus investing, is. It should, if you've got to, if you've got to pull the money out within the next couple of years, you probably shouldn't be in equity, any, equities anyway. You should just put it in cash, put it somewhere safe. Don't worry about it. But if you've got a five-year plus horizon, then you can afford to take some risk with that. Of course, and, you know, that, that's what I do. But you know, again, nothing's worth staying up at night and worrying about. So if you're uncomfortable with any level of risk, then you know it's just not worth having any exposure on. Just put it all, in, put it all in cash. You know, it's not. It's gonna it's gonna be detrimental, but you know nothing's worth worrying about. So I like what you know. I, I like the way you said. Then maybe I, I run this by you and see how you think about it because I've got a, my own blueprint. Uh, I call it the profitable business blueprint that I use for consultancy clients, right? And um, and then I've got a uh, one of my modules is called the financial risk formula, RISK is an abbreviation, and and under I, which is investments, I have a, a subsystem called rate. I see whenever you invest in, you're investing for a rate of return, but rate is actually an abbreviation. And I says, okay, the rate now is that first the R is your risk appetite. Because if you invest in, you know, whatever you're going to go into, you have to work with your risk appetite. As you just said, if you have a very, very, very low risk appetite and you don't want to lose anything, hold it in cash. But if you think, and you, you understand the risk reward theory, you say, okay, I'm happy to invest happy to lose or happy to win, on average, you might get 8% on equity market. So that's why I see mm -hmm. your risk up there is important. Then I have A is the amount. Because to me, to me the, more, the more you invest, the more you're likely to win or potentially lose. And T for me is time, the time, time yeah. period. And I think the longer you're willing to invest, then the less you have to worry, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. E, I, e I have as the expected amount. I think you should always have an expectation of what you're going into. So 
me just describing the rate that rate system does, does that work for you i mean like someone yeah, no, i think it does you know it's 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 a very sensible way of looking at it and you yeah. know anything that breaks it down like that i think is, is very <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 uh cool yeah. so all right so i i kind of i got what i got what you're saying is obviously work out your risk appetite work out your time horizon because most of all it bounces back right and then you yeah. mentioned and then you, you you mentioned about index and index funds and S&P 500. So if somebody had, let's say right now, they had um, 20,000 to invest or 100,000 to invest yeah. and, they wanted, and they wanted to go into the stock market, um, would you say to go onto one stock or go into a fund or go into a basket, like an ETF? I mean, I mean, how would you go about I mean, it's just one thing I kind of covered in, in, when I wrote a book about so in the investment section of um, of the money triangle, this is very yeah. much what I, what I kind of covered there. It's sort of, yeah, I you know the biggest the biggest killer with with most investment vehicles is is cost. So yeah, I like you, that. You know, and actively actively managed funds, or the you know, you know high ninety percent kind of underperform the index. So you know they're higher cost and they don't they don't deliver what they say they're going to deliver. So my usually when people ask me this, I just say you can't you can't really go that wrong with a low cost S and P index tracker. Yeah. Right? Obviously, like you've it. got dollar, you've got dollar exposure there, which you know I'm personally comfortable with. Not everyone is, but um, you know, I I think that to me is one of the biggest, you know, the biggest things that that I've looked. But you know, there is you try not to time things because you never know what's going to happen with the markets. But if you know, I would be loath right now as as equity markets are right at their peak to put the full amount in at this point. You know, I'd be looking for one of those ten percent kind of pullbacks. Yeah, um, I don't think we're we're anywhere near a bear market right now with the amount of kind of government money being printed but it's um you know i think what i'd be expecting to see is like you know just drip feed stuff in every month you know over, over the next kind of year or so and hopefully you'll you'll catch a bit of a a bit of a pullback in markets as as, as they come off i like that um, I, I like that that's quite good okay so so your book there are the money triangle can, can you talk to us about that i mean can you describe it i mean what is the yeah. money what is the money triangle I mean, it was it was really simple because, as, as I said, we I, I was fortunate to spend four years kind of launching this this um, well, this AI driven tool that we'd built with my other fintech that I was working at, which um, was designed to just run people through a really short survey and kind of get an idea of where they are at with their finances and then signpost them to the right places to to kind of sort it out. So, you know, we'd be looking at you know how they managed their debt, what kind of money they had in the bank, you know, how they spent what they had each month, that sort of thing. Um, and I think, you know, on the back of that, I actually was running around the country, the UK, and I spoke to 10,000 people at least over four years and ran mm. them through this tool, you know, as much to try and get an idea of like how we can improve the tool, but also just to learn more about individuals and how they manage their money, Yeah, which is a, it's a real crash course. And I think on the back of it, that's where the money triangle came out was, um, you know, ever, there was so much repeating stuff. That um that kind of would ha- would have would, would would come you know, every conversation I had you'd, you'd pick out these these trends, so it really is sort of the three sides of of people's finances, which is you know how you earn it, which is a big part of it. If you're not earning very much, you're you're, you're not there's not a lot you can do. Yeah. Um, you know how you invest it is is clearly very very important as well. Yeah. And you know that that's kind of the the linchpin of of what you're doing, and and then obviously the final one is how you spend it. I like that because you know it's spending because uh, if any side of the triangle is kind of out of whack, long term financial wealth just doesn't just doesn't appear. So 
you know, and there's loads. Everyone's got an example of a friend who earns a fortune but is broke at the end of every month because they spend too much. You know, there's the example of people who earn a lot but don't invest it in a very efficient way, so they they end up not making as much as they should over the long term. Yeah, not growing their way. And then you know, you get this kind of this same thing around um, around you know, you've got that. There's a certain level that people have to earn in order to to kind of um, you know be able to invest as well. So there's a bit of and that, that was quite an interesting section because it's often one that in finance books people don't cover is kind of the, the earn section because yeah. they, and people always say, well, if you want to earn more, just start a side hustle and get on with it. And um, what, what I kind of found is the easiest way for most people to earn more money is just to do a, you know, to, to work really, really hard at what they're doing now and get a promotion. It yeah. generally works higher. And, and, and often asking people, look, are you the highest paid person in your position in your company? And if they say no, it's like, well, why not? You know, why is, is it because you're not working hard enough? Is it because you, you know, there's something unfair, an unfair advantage that someone else has, in which case maybe you should be looking to move somewhere else. You know, and before you start looking at side hustles, which generally fail because they're not easy to do, otherwise everyone would be doing them. Yeah. You know, make, make sure you're earning as much as you possibly can with your day job. So that was that was sort of one of the things that came out of interviewing. All that is people. solid advice, man. That is solid advice. Yeah, yeah, I, I quite like that. So when you think about like something that like the, the the Robert Kiyosaki cash flow quadrant, right, where he talks about uh, okay, you could either be um, an employee or self-employed on the left hand side, right hand side, a business owner, investor. Um, mm. From a, from an earning money perspective, and obviously you 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 made a good point. In your job, try to earn as much money as you can. Actually, and I had this theory a long time ago because I actually read a book, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago called, it's called The Lynchpin. Mm-hmm. And I was actually saying in the book, what, what, what you want to do in your company is become that lynchpin that, you know, like that if they pull you out, things will be in a mess, right? You know, you're small, yeah. you're small, but you're still very, very important. And by doing that, then you obviously, yeah, it's like you can be important and be noticeable. Um, so going back to the cash flow quadrant, um, employee versus business owner, I mean, now, now that you've gone through the cycle yourself, which one yeah. would you say is the best way to sort of earn money and build your wealth? I mean, there's there's no bigger wealth creation event, I don't think, than if you start a successful company. Yeah. Um, you know, it's that, that is the number one way to do it. It's 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 taken me 15 years to find something that I wanted to actually I, I believed in enough to to throw in my career and you know take a big salary cut because you know you get to the point then when you're quite new and we're a very new business yeah that you become you know, asset rich but very cash poor yeah which is so you've you it's you can you might have a good a good like net worth potentially but unless there's a liquidity event you're in you're in pretty dire st- straits until you can sort of realize it but um you know speaking mm. personally the biggest event for me is is founding a business um you know and i think but it, it you, you know i've i've got i've got two kids i've got you know i had three mortgages i've had to sort of offload a couple of properties and things like that to to get where i want to where i want to get to um you know and it's uh You've got to get into a, into a position whereby you can focus on the business and not be so stressed that you, because you've got no cash to, you know, to live off. So it's taken me a while to get into a financial position to be able to launch a company, um, you know, because I I don't think I had the skills to do it properly in my in my early twenties when I was a bit more unencumbered and low, lower cost of living and all that kind of thing. Um, 
I like what so, you said. You know, I, I, it, it makes it makes it you no. Know, it make it's actually comforting because like sometimes like I had a career like to say in London, um, what called, financial transformation work, consultancy work, um, project management. I, I did all that kind of stuff, and I decided to give that up to launch my own like online academy, my own online training business, which, yeah. which I'm running now. I mean, obviously, alongside that, I do consultancy as well, like for companies mm -hmm. who are running, making a lot, of, a lot of money. But as you said, and I like what you said, actually, people are, there are people who make money in business, but don't keep the money. Yeah. Because they're just not making enough, they don't have enough the right operational processes, right financial management. There are people who make profit in business, but, but don't invest the money. Mm -hmm. So through my own academy, I call it the FBI Academy, Finance, Business and Investing Academy. It's all about giving business owners more intelligence, right? And yeah. I actually had to take a cut, as you said, in my earnings, you know, to establish the company, establish the business. Um, and it's, it's really fulfilling because as mm -hmm. I said, here I am in the Caribbean, you know, you, you know, you, you kind of work at your own pace, you know what I mean? Um, but at the same point in time, you still have to manage your money even much more better. Yeah. Now, when you, now, when you, when you're an employee, you, you get a fixed amount and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right. So talk about the mindset of a, of a bit. Now, now that you are a business owner, then is there anyone who is looking to um, take the plunge, as we call it, or go from employee to business owner? What are mm -hmm. some of the things that you have experienced that, that you said to them, look out for this or have this in place or before you launch a company, you must do X, Y, Z. Yeah, what's some of those things? I think I, I spent some time raising raising money for other startups um, with a previous job, well, previous sort of side hustle actually, mm -hmm. um, which was work for work for, work for kind of uh, Europe's largest like, um, like tech meetup community. And we would help startup founders get kind of first checks and things like that. And mm -hmm. I think the the biggest thing I, I think you need to have in place is product market fit, or at least some real reason to, to think that, you know, your product is going to work. Yeah. Because, you know, and it, and it's, you know, and it, it needs to be tangible. It's not like I spoke to 10 people and they all said that it was a good idea. It's like, well, could, you know, if you're, if your business is getting money out of people, like, have you got people to give you money already? Yeah. You know, in terms of like, have you managed to get them to sell? Have they bought something properly from you? Have they bought a service from you? Is there, you know, before you, and you can do that in the leanest way possible and look at, you know, reading the lean startup and things like that, where you have the minimal viable product or these sorts of things and strategies, you know, prove to yourself because you're going to need it when the, when it's, um, you know, things aren't going so well. Prove that people want the product in a way that people can't really argue with. Um, so I look at I look at the new business that we've got now. You know, I was I was thinking I needed to raise huge amounts of money just to get it off the ground. Um, but chatting to a few people, just talking about my idea, they were saying, "Well, you know, which is which is effectively it's a, it's a crypto wealth management platform. We pay people a fixed interest rate on Bitcoin, on Ethereum, if that's what they hold, or." if they have kind of dollar pegged assets, which tends to be the thing that people are more interested in. So it's a effectively a dollar account and we'll pay 15% interest on it. Yeah. Um, and it's done via, you know, staking, staking those, um, those coins and, and generating yield because yeah, it's a huge, it's, I mean, the returns are crazy at the moment because crypto markets are, are incredibly popular. And, and so yeah. it's just around forever, but it's, you know, 
I, I was talking about that service with people and they were saying, well, yeah, I would obviously do that. And I said, well, do you want to do a trial then? And, you know, friends and family were, were giving me money to say, okay, well, start managing it. You know, if, yeah. I don't, I don't need a platform to begin with. Send me a, send me a weekly email that says what the performance is and, you know, started there. And it's like, okay, well, we've now got, you know, 50 people who's, who've given, who've, who've parted with cash and are saying, I want to give you more. Will you take more? Yeah. Well, that is a, that's a real proof point. right? Yes. There. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. This is something that people want and will pay for. And, um, you know, and then that gives you the confidence just to keep taking more steps after that. So yeah, product market fit. I mean, the, the, two, the two reasons why, why most far startups fail is yeah, it's product market fit and it's lack of money. Yeah. So, or, lack of, or, are, or lack of money management as well. Lack of money, lack, lack of money management. Exactly. You know, they, they overextend themselves completely, you know, these sorts of things. So, yeah, I, I've, I've got, I've always got those in mind now and making sure that, you know, I've, you know, I've, I'm, I've, you know, we've gone through a, a kind of a seed round where we've raised, raised capital and making sure that it's enough to, to give us a significant runway to get to the next step where we'll raise more. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think that's what you really need to do is this, as a first step, really prove it works and it will force you to do, it will force you to, to really make what your idea real. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, cool. yeah. I mean, it, it's great to actually hear you say that because I actually said that I have my group coaching program. And what I said to people is that um, one of the first things that I actually teach them to do is to, I said, profit is a reward for creating value. Mm. So your business needs to be a value creation business, right? So yeah. how, and, and creating value is all about giving the customer something that to them is very valuable. Are you solving a problem? You know, yeah. and or you, you know, either, either you're relieving a pain or you're increasing a gain. Mm -hmm. Right. And once you're doing that, I think, and, and, and it's a good offer to someone and it goes, wow, this is value for money. Of course, you obviously don't need a website. You, you don't need a lot of stuff. What you need is a good offer. And it goes, wow. Uh, yeah. I'm willing to give it a go. Yeah, and then, and I think then, it's a really, really good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then you're in business. All right, cool, cool, cool. So as a finance man yourself, I mean, have you had any financial setbacks, any financial losses? Have you made money with, I mean, mistakes with money? I mean, you seem to be quite good with financial stuff. So have you, so, I mean, have you had any, any money mistakes? Or in hindsight, if you look back, say, I don't know, at things you've done now, would you have done anything differently financially? I think, uh, I mean, obviously it would be nice to say I would have bought Bitcoin really early. But, <laughs> yeah, um, I know, yeah. These, these sorts of silly things. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I bought Bitcoin at 5,000 and um, and sold it at uh, like 8,000, I think. Oh, um, why, so, why, why? What happened there? Well, it's it's like I didn't buy it on the way. To, you know, I saw it go to 17,000 or so in 2017 and then, then collapse. And then I thought, yeah. well, I'll buy some at 5,000. Then when it, Kind of made fifty percent in over the course of a, you know, a year or less than a year. I thought, well, you know, I'm not really sure, so, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take some profits. I, you know, periodically then bought more regularly, but uh, the first amount that I bought, I sold very early. Um, but you know, there's there's sort there's obviously loads of things like I am um, I used to I used to trade a lot with my own with my own money. Um, yeah. Whilst I had a full time job, and I think um, you know I did I did all right out of it, but I would have done. You know, I would have would have done almost as well if I just chucked it all in an S and P tracker earlier. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, you know, I think what I, I I think I could have done a lot better if I was doing it full time, but I was I wasn't in a position to do it for my own, my, my own money. 
Um, I also, when I was in Switzerland, I gave some money to a financial advisor who, um, you know, looked at a very tax efficient sort of structure for me. And then when I went to remove the money, um, there was a 50% um, cost to remove it. Sure. <laughs> so, um, so basically it was just, a, I got scammed, you know, they're a company that called themselves the, the world's largest financial advisor firm, but I've, I've seen them just sell predatory products to loads of people. So, you know, I think that was me being time poor at the time and just wanting someone yeah. else to kind of take control of a portion of my finances. And it, you know, I, I, I just didn't, uh, I got, I got scammed basically. So, um, you know, there's, there's those sorts of things, um, which I, which I'd certainly, you know, read the small print when, when I'm dealing with a third party a bit, bit tighter, yeah. but yeah, overall, I so think what, yeah. I've been quite lucky. Yeah. So, so, so what was the biggest lesson? Like, not like if you're going to advise someone who was going to, as you said, uh, look at investing, if you was going to like, so basically all the mistakes that you made, what is the one thing you would say to someone before you invest, you must do what? Good question. Before you invest, I quite like your idea of saying have have an end in mind or at least have a target. Yeah. Because it, it, it is it is true that you work out what, you know, have a plan basically is the, is the main thing. Yeah. So often it's saying, okay, so if you're, if you want to retire at 60, say, yeah, how much do you need to, yeah, what, what's going to, what's going to be the catalyst for you to able to be able to retire? You know, is it being able to earn X per month passively? So, okay. So if, if you're looking to earn X passively a month, um, you know, at the moment you're going to need this amount built up um, to do that. So let's work back to today. So that means you need to put in this amount per month. And, yeah. um, you know, and then you can show them that you know if you're if they're fully in equities, you can probably expect it to take this long, or to put this amount in. If it's if it's in cash, it's going to be this long. Um, you know, and then then go through your risk profiles, those sorts of things. So something that an IFA, a good IFA, would do is to really go, you know, financial advisor to say, let let's let's create a real plan, and and yeah. also look at kind of when the significant other events might be, like paying off mortgages, you know, putting kids through college, those sorts of things. I, I, I like that. Yeah, I have a financial game plan. I, I always think of it like chess. You know, I'm a big fan of chess. You know, start with the end in mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. When 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 you play in chess, you only play for one reason to, to checkmate the king. You know, every move you make is about checkmating the king. So if you um investing, you are you you are investing for a return. And so think of yeah, do you do do your due diligence and all that kind of stuff with in mind that you don't want to make losses, you know. And I always say to people, investigate before you invest, you know. Yeah. Um, and and what what would you say is your biggest financial, I don't know, success or you know, like as a finance man, I was I'm really happy I did this thing, or you know, it resulted yeah, I mean, in it, it resulted in something big for me. I mean, other than obviously probably starting your company, which gives you I think I think time. it was it's it's the amount it's it's the investment of time and kind of resource into into learning about cryptocurrency because yeah. it's got a it's got a terrible reputation and rightly so in certain areas that most people look at it they hear about the scams they hear about the hacks they hear about all these sorts of things and you know I, I looked at it as a way of you know as, as something that looked interesting to begin with yeah and the more you dig into it the more you realize the kind of potential that it's got. And I think starting to invest in it in the way that we did, which was um, looking at these what we call stable coins, which are attached to you know, they're, they're cryptocurrencies that are pegged to the value of the dollar. Yeah. And then yeah. using those those assets to generate income. 
by lending them, by whatever it is. And there's, it's, you know, it's not without its risks, but you know, finding a way where you can generate a pretty consistent return that's two, three, four times what you would expect in an average year in equities is 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 unbelievable. And um, I don't think I don't know how long it's gonna it's gonna hang around for. We we think it's gonna hang around for some time, and it's 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 definitely gonna be over and above what equities return on average for for quite some time. Yeah. But it's that is a game changer, and the fact that it's available to everyone anywhere in the world. Yeah, and there's very little barrier to entry to, to, to get going with it. Uh, it makes it a phenomenal you know, wealth creation tool. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely passionate about trying to, and that's what we do as a business at Accrue, is be the layer that, that takes all of this complexity and turns it into a safe, insured, regulated environment where people can just access these returns. So it's it's something that I think you know exploring that angle was was was, was the best decision I think I've ever made financially because yeah it it's so it, it it's so new that yeah. in in a year of study you can become one of you can become an expert in it or at least understand it better than most people who are in in the market you know it's not it's not kind of like traditional finance where there's you know people with 50 60 70 years experience of investing it's um yeah, things like decentralized finance have only really been around for 18 months. Yes, yes. So, so it's new and emerging, yeah. So I guess yeah. that you always read in, is you, I, th- I think you mentioned that you obviously like to read. So I guess you always read in books, you're always researching, you're always yeah. keeping yourself up to date. Am I correct? Absolutely. And it's, it, you know, you've got to enjoy the process. I think that's why you've got to work and do something that you enjoy. I mean, I, I, I imagine most people would be bored to tears with my, um, with my reading list. Yeah. You know, it, it's just it's the stuff I find interesting. It's yeah, you know, and I think if you if you don't find yourself reading around the topic that you spend your time working in, just naturally, I, I don't think you're potentially in the right industry. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You I know, agree. You, you've got to want to learn more and get better. And of, and of, of course, of course. So, so how how often do you read? I mean, I mean, how much books do you read? A week, month, year? I mean, what's yeah. what's one of the best books you've written on the topic? I mean, it, it really it really varies. I mean, because there's there's new ways of kind of consuming books. I've found these these these. I've recently got quite involved with with Lucid, which is an app that kind of distills books into. I think you've probably seen Blinkist. It's sort of a competitor to Blinkist. Um, yeah. Where you know it distills it distills books into graphical kind of ten minute digestible um, you know shortlist type things, and it's um. Wow. That's really good. So you know you can you can look at you can get get you you can you can digest the the, the main points of say fifty of the top kind of self help books ever in that in that area. Um, in terms of finance books, the, the one I think everyone should read very early on is it's a book by a guy called Joel Greenblatt, yeah. who um, is a very successful hedge fund manager, and he, he wrote a book that's kind of cheesy title, but it's the it's called the little book that beats the market. I think he followed up with the little book that still beats the market. <laughs> and it just um it just um it just talks about value investing and about how to analyze businesses or just investment opportunities. And the way yeah. it breaks it down is you know is phenomenal. And I think it's and the it's I think we've seen we've seen the model break down. I don't think it is doing as well as it was that kind of investing, but the mindset it creates around looking for undervalued businesses and looking for businesses that have very high return on equity. So it's, it's really just two metrics. It's like, how much does the company make relative to its market cap? 
And yeah. if it spends a pound, how much does it get back? Is it 50p or is it £2.50? And if it's so you kind of you just create a screen that says, okay, what's the most undervalued? And what's the most undervalued company that has the best return on what it what it sells? And then you rank that and you, you invest in the top top 10 of uh, you know whatever whatever index you're looking at and you get some absolute gems which is it's quite interesting because if you if you've been following that and if you you saw what happened with GameStop recently yeah yeah um, i, I can't it, but yeah if you um if you would uh, if you've been following his methodology if for the S&P you would have had money in GameStop because yeah. see, it was undervalued with you know with with reasonable margins and um and, and that so you know, it's weird. You sort of tend to get these really real freak events that happen when you invest in his strategies, um, you know, because other companies sort of look at it and serendipitously you end up with these, you know, buyouts and all these other things that happen because because they are good companies with lots with which are undervalued. So, yeah, yeah. Sounds, like, yeah sounds like a good book. So from, from listening to what you're saying, you, you, it sounds to me like you are more of a guy who looks at fundamentals rather than technicals. Or do you look at a combination of? I, I used to I used to do a lot of technical trading. So the, when I was doing when I was early in my career, I did the, the long what's called long short equity, yeah. which is where you you pick two stocks that are highly correlated, and you look for when they diverge in price, and then yeah. you you sell the expensive one, you buy the um, buy the, uh, the the cheap one, and you look for them to the mean revert to the mean. So you're looking at there, you're looking at um, you know, you're plotting a. a you're plotting a ratio between those two stocks and you're effectively trading a, a standard deviation sort of model. So there's a bit of kind of res- support, resistance, the usual yeah, stuff yeah. you see. In the yeah, yeah. yeah, but obviously more um, technical than that, more technical, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you, I, I, you know, I did a bit of that, but I, I don't know, I think I've gone off technical stuff a bit more because I'm not, I think it's good for short term, you know, yeah. finding breakout strategies and, you know, and the more people who are looking at it, you know, unsurprisingly, if everyone sees that this was the low and, you know, everyone's drawn that line on the same chart, everyone has their limit order at the same place, you know, it becomes kind of self-fulfilling a little bit, which um, would suggest that there is there is some basis to it. But, you know, I, I'm not short term, term enough now to really care about technicals so much. I'm, yeah. I'll, I'll just invest fundamentally generally. Yeah. yeah. So, you're, so you're more a long term value investor. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, okay. it, it just allows, you know, you, when you're doing short-term stuff, you can't kind of hold, you can't hold things for that long. Um, yeah, you, yeah, you, well, which makes you sense. Get, you you get 10, 15% return, you're okay with it. But, you know, with stuff like I've, I've got stocks that I've held, you know, and they're eight times what, what I sort of bought them for, you know, so yeah. it's because, because the fundamentals are telling me they're still undervalued. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was Warren Buffett who said that when you buy a, a stock, you want to buy it on the basis like if the stock market closed down today, you will still be happy to hold it for 10 years. Uh, if the stock market yeah. said, okay, I'm closing today and I'm opening in 10 years time, would you buy the stock? You know. Mm. So, so the question is, don't buy a stock that, that you have to monitor every week. Oh, he's stopping down. He's, no, 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 just buy it based on the fundamentals, on the yeah. sign of actual financials. Okay, so you, so your company, I think you mentioned your company name before. So tell us more about your company. Like actually, how can someone get in contact with you? Like how can you actually help them? I uh, don't make more money because it's very, very interesting what you do. Yeah. So we, we, the, the company that we founded is, is called Accrue Finance. It's Accrue.Finance. It's A-C-C-R-U. Then what the E.Finance. Yeah. Um, and you know, what, what we're producing and we're in, we're in sort of build mode. We'll be going live in, in October. Um, 
is effectively an app. People can log in, they can download the app, have it on their phone. And it's a really, really simple way of just earning high yields on their investments. So just say someone wants to, they've got euros or they've got sterling or dollars, whatever it might be. They can deposit that onto the platform. They then get the option to invest in, in several portfolios, which are based in, they might have a, one might be the stable coin where the underlying asset is, is pegged to the dollar. And then we'll pay them a yield of 15% on, on, those, uh, on, on that stable coin. Or it might be that they want to have exposure to things like Bitcoin or Ethereum, which are the, the, the big cryptocurrencies out there, in which case invest in those and we'll pay you a 7% return in Bitcoin or in Ethereum. So or the whole platform has insurance wrapped around it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's that's something that that's against hacking and these sorts of things, trying to improve the safety of it. Um, and, you know, we're very keen to try and make it the simplest user experience possible because there's a lot of quite complex you know, decentralized finance going on underneath in terms of, you know, we're, we're staking assets, we're lending them to other institutions, we're doing a lot of things like that. But of course, yeah, you're, 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 kind of, you're kind of leveraging the money in the background, right? Yeah, so in terms of what the, the, the customer sees, though, it's a very, very simple user experience with a, you know, a live updating. They can see their hourly earnings that are on the platform. They can see it in real time, interest accruing. Um, you know, so it's it's a very simple way of doing it. And, you know, I'm hoping it's it's also a way of engaging people in their finances a bit more because you know, if you log in and you see, well, I'm I'm passively earning, you know, two, two, three pounds an hour, whatever it might be, depending <laughs> yeah. on what you've invested. Yeah. You know, it's just thinking, well, okay, well, how do I how do I get that to 10 pounds an hour or you know, whatever it might be. So it's that that's the sort of thing we want to do is is just get people thinking a bit more because long-term investing is great. But it, you know, it, it becomes a little bit intangible. So yes, we can, yes, yes. Yeah. If someone was to tell me, well, you've got this in your pension at the moment, and guess what? That's yeah, it's currently earning you X. That that might get me to look at it a bit more often, or at least pay attention to it more. So yeah. Um, yeah. So what does a person need to know about investing before they invest? I mean, what, what do you advise them to? I mean, is there anything to read about? It? I mean, like, I mean, if someone would just want to invest in your company. I would I, yeah, always do your own research. And yeah, the, the thing inherently with cryptocurrency, as safe as we try to make it, you can never call it a low risk investment. It's always yeah. going to be, at the moment, it's always going to be high risk because you know, cryptocurrencies are new. They are, you know, they haven't been around that long. And yeah. there's a lot of underlying kind of uncertainty around crypto. So, you know, I think whatever happens, this isn't something where you, you know, you sell your house and put it into put it into crypto. It's um this is just like for any other portfolio. It's a balanced portfolio. This is an element of you know a high risk element of your portfolio that you put some money into. And I think yeah, do your do your own research and and, and have a look at this at these things. I mean, the, 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 we try and simplify the decision with us. It's either you're investing in effectively U.S. dollars with our stablecoin fund, or you're choosing to have exposure to one of the big cryptocurrencies like yeah, Bitcoin yeah. or Ethereum. So. If you're, you know, I think you need to make the decision. Do you want high yield and dollar exposure or do you want 7%, which is still a high yield, but, you know, potentially the uh, the underlying asset could grow with with the value of Bitcoin or grow with the value of, of, of Ether. So yeah, you've got to decide. And I think what we're finding is a lot of people are actually saying, well, you know, I want 50% of my money earning 15% in dollars and I want the other 50% in Bitcoin, um, you know, earning 7%. Yeah, and that's kind of where people are. Interesting, interesting. I mean, yeah, it's quite, it's quite. I mean, a couple of things that you mentioned. So I think one of them you said that it's high risk. I remember when I actually invested in cryptos, which was back in 2017. I did a half day course with a guy up in um in Peterborough, right? 
Mm -hmm. They said, look, this thing is going to blow. It's going to get big. Okay, even if you're scared, you know, just invest, you know, 5% of your, you know, your, your portfolio. You know, so if you have $100, just put five, $5 in, um, yeah. in, in, in Bitcoin, you know. If you lose it, you lose it, you know what I mean? And I, and I did go and actually and, and, and bought a couple of coins, you know what I mean? Because uh, I thought, yeah, well, you know, you know, you know a couple of grand, if I, if I lose it, I lose it. And yeah. actually, and it, 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 did, it did went high. So I guess like what you're saying is kind of similar. Crypto is still a high risk area. So people should know that, okay, the, the, the potential gains are high, but don't put all your money into exactly something yeah. like this. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. exactly it. It's, you know, it, and I think a lot of people forget that they see the big, they see the big returns. They see, you know, Dogecoin doing, you know, we have many thousand percent and things like that. And they, people get a bit greedy, but it, you know, they, especially recently, it's been, it's been a bit of an eye opener for people where they've, they've been hit quite hard, I think by, by this pullback that we've seen in crypto, um, which has actually done us a lot of favors because we, you know, we, we've seen a lot of people move money into their stablecoin strategies, um, which don't, which don't really get impacted when, when the crypto markets decrease, you know, yeah, activity yeah. decreases a bit means our yields are slightly more difficult to, to maintain, but, Generally speaking, we haven't dropped from a fifteen percent yield for anyone. So yeah, yeah, Make, it's, makes um, sense. Makes sense. And as a yeah, retain your capital. Yeah, and on so on the back of it, then so when someone um gives you if someone invests in the in the US fund as you said or the US tracker, yeah. right? That uh, if that person is in Euro or in the UK and then they invest in sterling, is there any currency exposure? So at the moment there's currency exposure but it's, it's something that we're looking at as i mean that we're launching with the with the us dollar account because it's it's the it's the easiest and the largest most liquid market in crypto is this us yeah. dollars yeah um, but there is the there is the potential to do euro accounts and gbp account like as as your base asset um, yeah so we will look at those as well um i think the yields won't be 15 percent because um you can get yeah. those on dollars but you can't it's it's, it's more difficult to get on on euros and, and sterling but yeah, we'll we'll absolutely be re adding those accounts as well to try and because at the moment there is that that currency risk for people. Okay, um, okay, I understand. And and I mean, so have you got a team in your company, or is it just you and a small team, or is it? So uh, it's uh, we've got it's it's been interesting because it's been trying to trying to do this in a very lean way. So yeah. I mean, the core functions we've we've got into in house. So we've yeah. we've got two developers. So I've got a a really experienced uh, CTO who I've worked with previously. He's a very very um, smart guy and. And um, another guy I've worked with, who's our our chief engineer, Gary George. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he's uh, yeah, he's again a phenomenal engineer. So those they are building the product and they're they're working at pace. But then um, you know things like finance in terms of you know getting payroll, leasing sorted, outsource that. So outsource pay payroll function and all those sorts of things. And yeah, yeah. And, and month and uh, yeah, month end numbers, those sorts of things like that. And then. We've got a very, you know, also wanting to have in-house regulatory expertise. So we've hired yeah. a very, very experienced um, money laundering reporting officer. So we've, you know, we're putting a lot of emphasis on the processes, risk management and regulatory rigor that we put around everything that we do. So, you know, our, I had a compliance, you know, 25 years experience and they've, they've worked at places like Aegon and Aviva and, and, and also regulators like the FCA. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, really adds a lot of credentials to have them on board full time as well. And then kind of marketing wise, we've, you know, in terms of getting out there where we've got a couple of agencies that we work with. So, you know, in terms of the, the, the actual direct number of employees we've got, it's not very high, but, you know, we've got in terms of the support we're getting from some very cost effective third party, you know, third party providers, 
Um, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it's been working well. Yeah. So yeah. So, yeah, so once this is launched, uh, you said October. So anyone in any location can download this app and start to put some money on. Is that correct? That's correct. We we need to be careful from a regulatory perspective. So certain regions that we won't be targeting or allowing to to come in. And at the moment, that's going to be specifically looking at the USA, Canada, and Japan. Yeah. Um. We've got we're waiting. We've got an application with the the FCA in the UK, which allow which will allow us to um to target everyone in the UK. And then to the rest of the world, though, we've got a um you know people from all over the world will be able to use 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 it from outside those locations. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Man, it was really, really great to have you on, on, on board here. I mean, I just got a final few questions for you. I mean, as a finance man, you're like running your business now. I know he's still in, if you want to call it beta mode in some of the mm-hmm. development phase. What are some of the key metrics that you look at or some of the key things that um, that you think, I want to know how this is going? I mean, obviously, you, 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 you're still pre-revenue, am I correct? Not, not quite. So we've got a we've got a bit of institutional money that we we manage. So okay. That allows us to be able to to generate revenue, sort of pre pre product being fully yeah, live. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, we're our, our metrics are really simple, you know, and I'm, I think we're we're focused on on really just sort of three, which is it's customer um, sign ups and, and 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 how they credit their accounts. Yeah. It's assets under management, and it's the the base return on assets that we're making. So okay, I got it. I got it. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. Paying, what, so we're paying customers 15%, and then everything that we make in addition to 15% is what our margin is. Yeah, and I got it. That yeah. will vary with, with 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 sort of markets. So um yeah, so yeah, yeah. I understand. So you, your focus is to get more people to sign up, have more assets under management, get a higher base return. And, yeah. and then obviously things are going good. Obviously, yeah, makes sense. Everything else, everything else, pretty much looks after itself. And obviously, you know, we'll as as we as we grow in scale and our, our customer base increases, then it's looking at, you know, more of the the finer metrics around, kind of um, you know, the, the number of of month to month user growth and you know how long, yeah. be, how many times people are are, are you know, logging into the platform. Those yeah, kind of, of course, yeah, yeah. Operational efficiencies, <laughs> operational metrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So I ask the question to everyone. So what does the term financial intelligence means to you, being a finance man especially? I think it's just having your th- your money in the most efficient place for yourself and to, to achieve whatever goal you've set with it. Yeah. So um, I could go on to explain that further, but I think that's that's <laughs> sort of it will be very dependent and very personal to you. Um, but you know, the worst thing you can have is your your kind of your money spread around in places that isn't serving you. So trying to make sure that you've 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 got your money in a place that it's it's doing what it needs to do to sort of support your longer term goals. That would be the I love it. I love it. Okay, so if someone wanted to like get in contact with you, like someone wanted to go like this guy's like, wow, he's like He's a finance guru, you know, he's a crypto guru. I want to talk to him. I want to invest some money into his business. I mean, where can they find you? Where's the easiest place to find you? So re- registering on the, well, they can send me an email directly to, to phil, P-H-I-L, at accrue.finance. Um, they can they can find my book on Amazon Store, which is um, The Money Triangle. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so drop me an email. Be love to hear from people. We are still open to investment into the businesses as well. We've, we've we've closed our first financing round, but we're extending it because we've had so much demand. Um, so yeah, we are still open to investors uh, who are looking to take a stake in our business itself. Yeah. Um, so yeah and, more, more and, and and how much money can people invest? As a minimum, how much can they or maximum? In in the actual business, or yeah. in terms of 
But in, in the business, in, in the business, and and on the platform. So on the platform, you know, it's it comes down to our, our kind of regulatory sort of transaction monitoring requirements. So mm. checking, you know, as long as we're we're happy, there isn't really an upper limit. Um, okay. You know, minimum wise, I think we'll we're looking we're starting at a hundred dollars. So if people wow. want to put money in, they can put a hundred dollars in. You know, just to test the waters. And then um, in terms of terms of like equity in the business, that's uh, you know we're, we're we're open to discussion there as well. Okay, cool. So I guess your vision at some point in time will be like to I don't know, like go to the stock market, or is that your vision? I think like, so. You know, and we see a lot of early, a lot of companies in our situation are kind of giving investors liquidity very early by going yeah. going to market and going and doing an IPO. So yeah. I think that's probably something that we would look to do in the in the next couple of years. Cool, cool, cool. Like Phil, man, it's been great to have you on. Thanks for your time. I uh, try to keep you within, you know. Uh, 45 minutes to an hour, but it's been so insightful, so technical. I know for some people listening, they'll be like, what is this guy talking about? But of <laughs> course, they can probably start by getting your book, I guess, uh, The Money Triangle, which will help. And some of the other books that you mentioned as well. Uh, yeah. And hopefully they will learn a lot. And um, I mean, I have found it really insightful speaking to you. Uh, I'm actually interested in investing in the company, so I'm going to be following you as well. And, 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 and seeing more of what you do. So great to have you on. And I hope that we will keep in touch and speak soon. Appreciate it, Royston. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can find out more about me by Googling my name, Royston Cumberbatch. I'm on all the social media, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can find me on YouTube as Roy Cumberbatch. And if you are listening on YouTube, please hit that uh, subscribe button or you can find me on my website at www.rackmac.com. That's R-A-C-M-A-C-S.com. It'd be great to hear from you and do feel free to tell me about any topics you want me to cover on future episodes. Until next time, be good to yourself and others, keep positive and reaching for your financial goals. Bye-bye.